0: Greetings, Northlings, and welcome to Haunted Up North. Whoa. What a time to be alive. Listening to a paranormal podcast hosted by me, Victoria, and learning all about different kinds of scary ghosts. Ghosts, ghosts. if you weren't already aware, is how King Charles pronounces the word ghosts. Silly boy. As you're listening to this paranormal podcast dedicated to the telling of real-life scary experiences from not always, but often, the north of the UK, I do hope you find yourselves scintillated, scared, and most importantly, entertained by the spectral tales I'm about to tell you today. First, though, first, I want to tell you about a spooky surprise giveaway we've been brewing up here at Haunted Up North. Would you like a magnificent mug? A handled vessel for keeping your beverage warm as you listen to our terrifying tales of ghostly disturbances emblazoned with the infamous Haunted Up North logo in a frightfully funky manner? If the answer is yes, then all you have to do is head on over to our coffee page. As always, the link can be found lurking in the show notes down, you know, there head on over to Coffee and donate an amount of your choice to be entered into our magnificent Haunted Up North prize draw. Whether it's a one-time gift or a monthly early riser subscription, every contribution helps fuel our Freddy Krueger furnace of fear and you'll still receive a shout-out on the show whether you're a winner this time or nay. And there will, of course, be future Haunted Up North giveaways to look forward to within the coming months. The draw will close on Valentine's Day when the winner will be contacted directly and announced via the airwaves. So please, head on over to Coffee if you'd like to take part in our very first Haunted Up North Prize draw. And why wouldn't you? I mean, it's amazing. What's also amazing is the story I've got for you today, which isn't exactly a very northerly northern tale. It's decidedly south compared to where I live. But even the most southern of supernatural stories are north of somewhere, including Bristol, which is where this episode's eerie action takes place. Bristol is the biggest and most bustling city <laughs> in Southwest England, bordered by the counties of Gloucestershire and Somerset, and it was named the best city to live in during 2014 and 2017, so it must be pretty cool. It sits on the River Avon, and one of its most iconic landmarks is the Brunel's Clifton Suspension Bridge, which many of you will recognise if you google it. It's very beautiful, and if you've ever watched the TV show Skins, you'll definitely remember it from that. It's also got those infamous eye-catching coloured Victorian houses in a neighbourhood called Clifton Wood, which are also particularly identifiable. They're apparently painted that way so that sailors returning home from sea could find their way back to shore in the fog because Bristol, I'll have you know, was a major port back in the day. There's a street in Bristol city centre called Christmas Steps which have always made me want to visit Bristol, purely just for that, so I can stand on a street called Christmas Steps, especially at Christmas. This has become my new goal for this year, to conquer the Christmas Steps in Bristol. At Christmas, and jingle all the way to festive oblivion. There's another very interesting street in Bristol called Highworth Road in the quiet southeastern suburb of Brislington that made headlines in 1950 during the last days of January. A crowd of curious and apprehensive residents watched with hushed anticipation as 36 year old Reverend Francis Meddock of St. Anne's Church arrived at the street on a holy mission to perform an exorcism at a house reported to be afflicted by unsettling phenomena. Number 13, Highworth Road, the home of a Mr. and Mrs. Baber, was plagued by what they could only describe as poltergeist disturbances. When the couple, curious about a room that had remained locked for a staggering 18 years, decided to unveil its mysteries, little did they anticipate the unearthly consequences that would follow. In their quest to unlock the chamber, the Babers inadvertently unleashed what they feared to be the spirit of a former owner, prompting them to seek the guidance and solace of Reverend Maddock. In the secrecy of the darkened Victorian home, shrouded by heavy curtains and thick silence, Reverend Maddock and Mr. Baber ascended the creaking stairs, the air heavy with anticipation, until they reached their destination, the Box Room, a dusty tomb of memories, untouched since the previous owner's demise almost two decades ago. No spectral form materialised while the hushed ritual unfolded, the Reverend's voice echoing through the hallways as he visited each brightly lit room in turn, before finishing with a final prayer and vanishing into the night. As the door closed behind him, the babies stood alone in the echoing silence, the trauma of the past six months clinging to them like a shroud. Would the ghost be banished, or was its presence still lingering there, hidden inside the shadows? Only time and the fragile flicker of their newfound hope would tell as they pondered what felt like an inconceivable nightmare, hesitating to accept that the ordeal had ultimately come to an end. Prior to the frightening events at 13 Highworth Road, Mr and Mrs Baber had lived inside the premises for fourteen years, with no whispers of unease, and no hint of anything to suggest they were cohabiting with anything remotely untoward. The house, rather modest in size, consisted of five rooms, one of which remained locked away for nearly two decades. This secluded space, a diminutive box room, had been untouched since the passing of its previous inhabitant, a woman known as Mrs Gladys Drury. For eighteen years its secrets had been veiled in silence, preserving the memories of a bygone era. At last, a day arrived when Mrs Baber, driven by curiosity or perhaps a desire to uncover the mysteries concealed within, boldly confronted the box-room lock. Forcing the door open, it eventually creaked inwards, and as it swung ajar, Mrs. Baber's eyes fell upon a trove of old trunks and furniture, several chairs, a table, and a chest of drawers, which were stacked from floor to ceiling in the six-by-nine-feet room. The room was entombed with filth. Dust and grime dominated every inch of the dingy space. Cobwebs clung to the corners of the ceiling and the furniture, a once sturdy testament to craftsmanship, was so infested with woodworm it crumbled beneath the slightest touch. Believing that this room could serve as the perfect haven for their young daughter, the Babers embarked on a mission to transform it. With care and diligence, they cleaned it thoroughly, banishing the accumulated dust and dispelling the ghostly cobwebs. Armed with a vision of a delightful space for their child, they adorned the room with their own furniture, tailored to create a cosy and welcoming atmosphere in stark contrast to the state they'd originally found it in. The room, once a neglected corner, now stood reborn, a joyful little sanctuary for their six-year-old daughter to enjoy. The first few nights were quiet, and all seemed peaceful and content inside the newly decorated bedroom. Then one night, a sudden disruption shattered the air, jolting Mr. and Mrs. Baber from their slumber. It was the sound of their daughter screaming from her bedroom, seemingly in a state of complete and abject terror. Rushing to her side through the darkness of the hour, anxious and concerned, an unsettling chill coursed down their spines when they asked her what was wrong. With an unwavering conviction, she whimpered, There's someone in the room with me. In a state of panic, the babies frantically scanned the tiny room realising that no person, regardless of size, could conceal themselves inside it without detection. Convinced that their child had likely experienced some sort of vivid nightmare, the couple diligently searched every nook and cranny to assure her that the room was empty and devoid of any living presence, human or otherwise. On the next night, however, and for several nights following, the baby's daughter persistently cried out, adamant each time, that an intruder lurked within her room. The situation escalated to such an extent that she refused to spend another night in that room altogether, and even during waking hours, she became hesitant to walk around the house without one of her parents by her side. Before long, other members of the family found themselves entangled in similar disconcerting events. During a routine day of housework, Mrs. Baber was taken aback when she suddenly heard a disembodied voice emanating from the top of the staircase. Glancing upwards towards the presumed source of the sound, Mrs. Baber was met with a striking sight. The spectral figure of an elderly woman, draped from head to toe in black. The apparition vanished almost as swiftly as it had appeared, leaving Mrs. Baber to dismiss the vision as a trick of her imagination. However, her scepticism wavered, when while tucking her daughter into bed one night and listening to her recite her prayers, she distinctly heard the mysterious voice again. Despite thorough investigations, no intruders were discovered in the room or the adjacent passageway. Moreover, no plausible natural explanation surfaced for the disembodied voice, which had escalated from being heard solely by Mrs. Baber and her daughter to now afflicting the couple's fifteen-year-old son as well. Adding to the inexplicable occurrences, door handles began to turn of their own accord, and doors would swing open without any discernible cause, while the eerie sound of footsteps echoing up and down the stairs, and cupboards opening in the dead of night, struck fear into the heart of the Baber family. Sometime after this series of odd incidents began, convinced she'd upset the ghost of Gladys Drury by unlocking her sealed-up room, Mrs. Baber reached out to the renowned psychic investigator and author, Mr. Elliot O'Donnell. It was during Mr. O'Donnell's visit to the property that he, along with the Babers and a family friend, unexpectedly heard distinct footsteps moving overhead. Measured and deliberate, they paced across the living room ceiling in which the company were sat, emanating undeniably from the confined space of the box room above. The rhythmic tread persisted for several suspenseful minutes, after which a creaking sound reached their ears. It was the sound of the box room door slowly opening. The terrified onlookers held their breath as the footsteps traversed the hallway, descended the stairs, echoed through the passageway below, and finally approached the living room where all four of them were seated. It was at this point that Mrs. Baber succumbed to a debilitating fainting fit, and Mr. Baber, desperately reaching for the light switch, discovered that he was not only trembling with fear, but shivering due to an oppressive cold that had swiftly enveloped the room the moment the footsteps had entered. In the ensuing days, an overwhelming surge of media attention inundated the residence on Highworth Road. Journalists from various corners of the globe battled for the opportunity to narrate the gripping saga of the Baber family. The curiosity surrounding the extraordinary events drew enormous crowds to the streets, creating a palpable buzz of speculation and intrigue. The climax of this public spectacle, culminating in the Reverend Maddox's dramatic arrival to officiate the exorcism of the property, turning the otherwise quiet neighbourhood into a focal point of both local and national interest. An article from the Baltimore Sun, dated the 26th of January, 1950, reads A Church of England minister, and plenty of electric lights, appear to have chased the ghost from Number 13 Highworth Road. Mr. and Mrs. William Baber, who appealed for the use of an ancient Christian rite to rid their home of the faint form of a little old woman with a halo, slept there last night for the first time in a week. They did so after the Reverend Francis Maddock visited every room in Number 13, intoning the word of a ghost-dispersing ceremony called exorcism. They said today they saw no sign of the old figure walking sorrowfully through the house, which previously disturbed them repeatedly. Yet according to author William H. Gilroy's narrative in his tale The Ghost Who Won't Be Laid, dated August of that very same year, recounting the contents of a letter submitted to him by Mr. Baber himself, the mysterious phenomena inside number 13 persisted even after the completion of the reverend's exorcism. "'We still hear the footsteps,' he said. "'Doors and drawers are continuously being opened and shut without our being able to discover how it's done. "'My wife and I actually saw the entity only a week ago. "'We have had numerous offers from psychic investigators,' many things have been tried, but all to no avail. A very good newspaper photographer has attempted to take pictures inside of the house. Three of his flashbulbs were smashed to pieces, one after the other, and the developed negatives were not fit to be printed, as they had nothing but distorted figures on them. We are having a well-recommended medium visitors in a week or two, and perhaps we shall then get to the root of the trouble. I wonder what Mrs. Baber's first name was. Perhaps they were both called William. Aside from the account I've just related, I could find no other mention online of the haunting of 13 Highworth Road. The bulk of this episode's material came from a bumper collection of awesome supernatural stories from a book called True Ghost Stories of the British Isles, which is a really, truly frightening read. It's got some excellent tales I've definitely never even heard of before, including this one. I found a few little extra bits of scary snippets, again from the Baltimore Sun and a Reddit entry from a user called r slash nosleep, entitled The Former Tenant, the latter of which reads that not only did the ghost of Gladys manifest as an audible disturbance, but the apparition of Gladys herself would, in their words, wake the babies up at six every morning. She followed them round the house all day with a creepy floating motion. She stared at them, or came up behind them silently, startling them when they turned around. She especially scared the children, who, understandably, never wanted to be left alone with the wraith. The same Reddit user also says, in reference to the Babers' well-recommended medium visit, that the Babers had a spiritualist come to the house, and he tried to make contact with the ghosts using a Ouija board. But he had no success. The ghost spelled out the letters, E-E-H-F-H-M-E-V, but it wasn't much to go on. E-F-M-E-V. That noise I just made, trying to make a word out of Ouija board letters, sounds like a character from the Harry Enfield show, Tory Boy. (laughs) If anyone remembers that from the 90s. Harry Enfield and Chums. But anyway, if that noise I just made didn't freak you out, listen to this. The thing that creeped me out the most, out of everything I researched about this case, was something I read in the January 1950 article from the Baltimore Sun that said, The Babers said the ghost first walked six months ago. It talked as well, they said. It took the form of a little old woman in black, who, in their words, just comes along and says, Aha! in an accusing voice then goes away again. I think out of everything I've read about this case, that's the scariest part for me, even though I read that out in an Alan Partridge aha instead of a creepy one. But what's she going on about? What's she saying aha about? Very creepy. It's weird how this case isn't more famous. It, it was before the Enfield Poltergeist and the Amityville Horror, and it was even earlier than the Herman Family Haunting of 1958 in Seaford, Long Island, New York the case that reportedly inspired the 1982 blockbuster Poltergeist. One of the best films ever, but it sounds like it had its fair share of attention at the time, so I wonder why it hasn't garnered the same notoriety as other public manifestations of that ilk. I was struck when I was reading about all of this by the fact that there was a teenager in the house when the supposed haunting was taking place. As with the Enfield Poltergeist and indeed the Herman family haunting, there were adolescent teens present in the midst of all the action. As I've said before in Haunted Up North, disturbances involving what those afflicted consider to be noises and objects being moved or thrown about by unseen forces generally have a teenager at the heart of the drama, whether that's because they're responsible for the manifestations themselves or some kind of heightened kinetic emotional energy is being thrown about into the ether and causing havoc within the household. If anyone wants to see an awesome documentary about the Enfield Poltergeist, I really recommend you watch a production that Apple TV made last year. The title of the show is, unsurprisingly, the Enfield Poltergeist. It's a four-part mini-series, which is told entirely through actual audio and voice recordings made during the events that took place inside the 1970s Green Street House, which is the site where most of the supernatural activity associated with the Enfield haunting took place. The visual part of the story is told through actors, who are obviously miming to the tune of the original audio which at first, but literally only for the first few minutes, I found a little bit jarring, but you quickly get used to it and realise how ingenious it is, and the actors are all absolutely brilliant, Uh, but I do recommend giving it a watch if you're interested in that sort of thing. It's edited in such a way that doesn't seek to deprive you of the mystery of the Enfield narrative, but at the same time it still forces the viewer to really take a good look at what the hard reality of the situation within the Hodgson family was and it invites you to form a more emotionally intelligent view of what might have caused everything that unfolded inside that house, both before the investigators were involved and afterwards, and also during. As for 13 Highworth Road, who knows what the heck went on in there and whether there are still things going on. Perhaps Gladys Drury was only mad at them for opening up her top-secret box room. I wonder why, if indeed she was a sentient, rageful spirit, why she was mad at them. Maybe she just didn't like people touching her things and wanted them to stay in there forever. Maybe she was simply scared of change, like so many of us are, and it had nothing to do with the objects inside that box room. But whatever opinion you have about the curious case of 13 Highworth Road, Please don't go knocking on the door asking the current owners if you can have a good look at their box room, because you might get arrested for being nosy. If anyone has any more information on the haunting of 13 Highworth Road, do get in touch at hauntedupnorth at gmail.com. And until next time, I'm out, like a light switch in a haunted house. Please remember our magnificent Haunted Up North giveaway. Click on the link in the show notes if you'd like a chance to upgrade your hot drink hydration game. You can put cold drinks in there as well. Or anything you want, really. You can use it for measuring rice. You can put bird seed in it. Or some mud, if that's your thing. I'm not judging you. You can put mud in your magnificent haunted mouth mug if you want. Don't, though, because I'll be sad. Thanks for listening, everyone and for letting me inject a bit of Bristol soul into your day. Long live Highworth Road and all who haunt her. And remember, if you stumble across a rusty old doorknob, hesitate before turning the handle, for you never know what mischief might be brewing on the other side. Unless it's a really awesome haunted-up-north coffee mug, then you should definitely axe that mother down. Cheerio, crocodile. no, I didn't, know. see you later at... Alligators. See you later, alligators. That's what I meant. <laughs> Idiot. Eve Smith.